You're listening to the Companion Gun Dog Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer. And with me again, as always, is Emily Shirey. How you doing, Emily? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Grayson? Fantastic. So uh, you guys may have noticed we've been on a bit of a hiatus. Um, uh, been a little bit of travel for both of us. Um, been a little bit of kind of sickness running through my house, at least. It just keeps coming with our uh, with our toddler. Um, nothing serious, just, uh, just normal crud stuff. Um, and it's just more than anything, it's just been super busy. Um, I've got a, uh, summer camp going on where most of the dogs here, uh, are going through force fetch together, which is really nice. Um, it's, uh, it's going well. I've got pretty much everybody off the table transitioning to the ground, uh, either in walking fetch, some are starting to go to the pile and I got a few of the dogs in my house that are getting a little more general obedience. Um, but either way, there's not a whole lot of time in the day to do much of anything. So we finally made our way back here to the microphones and the computer. And, uh, and we've had a few requests, um, you know, kind of since we took a break, uh, that when we came back, um, what folks really wanted to hear the most of was us to dig a little deeper into reward-based systems. Um, you know, I, I've kind of spoken ad nauseum about the way I feel about reward-based systems. I think there's a ton of power. I think they're uh, uh, a great utilization of your time with your own dog. Um, you know, personally, it's not the most efficient way for me to work with my client dogs, um, but I do believe in uh, the utility and the power of, of these training methods, and I think that everybody should get out there and uh, and try them because they're such a low-risk proposition. And... Today, I'm going to kind of take a backseat to Emily because she's really um, current and in practice with uh, kind of the modern progressive reward-based movement. Um, she's working her puppy Ember towards a lot of uh, trick dog stuff and everything else. So, uh, Emily, I'm just going to kind of turn it over to you and you can start by just telling us what you guys have been up to over there at your uh, your training lab. <laughs> well, thank you, Grayson. Um, I have been on vacation in Colorado for a couple weeks and I'm just getting back into the swing of things. But Ember is now almost six months old and we've been doing a ton of reward-based work and I love it. Um, as you all know, I'm not a strictly reward-based trainer or what people call an R-plus trainer. I utilize all the quadrants. Um, I use e-collars and prong collars and lots of negative reinforcement, but I do utilize positive reinforcement a lot too, especially with my personal dogs. If you have not already, I recommend you go listen to um, our second podcast, episode two. We talk a lot about operant conditioning and we go over some really um, in-depth details of what positive, reinforce positive reinforcement is, especially in regards to the quadrants. And there's some notes on Grayson's website about that. If you haven't already, definitely check that out. In our last episode, we talk about compulsive training. And I think that pairs nicely with what we're going to talk about today. Again, I'm not a purely positive trainer, but this is something I first and foremost enjoy. I find a lot of inspiration in working with food with my dogs. Um, food is going to be the primary way I use positive reinforcement. 
um, especially with my puppies. And I find a lot of value in that for myself and for the dogs. For one, I think it's um, super inspiring and I'm, I love being creative with my dogs and coming up with ways to do things through positive reinforcement um, is really interesting to me. So I enjoy that. But like I said, I do utilize all the quadrants and I just want to make sure we're um, clear on that, that I am not a purely positive trainer. I think some of the benefits of using um, positive reinforcement in any program, whether you're doing it exclusively or with the help of the other quadrants is for one, it's so beneficial for puppies. Um, for one, it teaches them how to learn, which is really important and something that we often overlook. I'm really big on socializing puppies, crate training, potty training, doing all sorts of socialization with people, places, things. But another important aspect for any dog, especially that's going to be a working dog or a bird dog, is to have them understand how to learn. And there's no better way to do that than a bag of treats with a puppy who's hungry. Um, so teaching puppies how to learn is going to be a huge benefit. And um, at the same time, it's a great benefit for the handler, especially if this is your first puppy, your first working dog, your first gun dog, learning how to um, improve your timing. And what we like to say a lot is isolate, separate, and recombine is something that you're going to um, ha go through a lot of with positive reinforcement. You can't just look at the end picture and start there. So if you can learn to start breaking down behaviors into little segments and building upon them with your puppy and your bag of food, it's going to make you a significantly better handler when it comes time to use some um, negative reinforcement and building more complex behaviors. Um, building work ethic in puppies is one of the biggest reasons why I recommend all my clients utilize some positive reinforcement. Um, that's something that I think is really lacking in the dogs that I get in for training is they've never been fed by hand. All their food comes out of a bowl. And when I go to <laughs> introduce behaviors with some food, uh, no, they, <laughs> they live the life where they're fed in a bowl and working for it is very uh, foreign to them. And if they aren't super high food drive, like a lot of labs, which I get a lot of GSPs, um, they'd say, oh, no, thanks. I'm going to go check out something else. So developing that work ethic as a puppy is really important. And you might call that um, food drive, but I like to call it work ethic because that's what it is to me. Are you willing to work with me? How much effort are you willing to put into this? And if you've seen Ember, you'll know <laughs> that she's got a heck of a lot of work ethic. Whether we're at the farm or in the house, we're at a brewery, her eyes never leave mine. She's constantly going, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? What are we going to do? What can I do? And that's because I've built that through a... Um, Picking her, I, you know, picking a lab that's high drive is a good place to start versus some lower drive food, uh, lower dogs with lower food drive. But also, I feed her every meal by hand and she works for it. So even if it's just five minutes of sit, go to your crate, go to place, um, she's working for all of her meals. And so she, she understands that in order to get something she wants, she has to do something in order to get it. So I think, I think, sorry, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I really want to, um, I want to kind of stop here and, uh, and get everybody to pay attention to the concept we're discussing, which is uh, developing a work ethic. And so 
just the simple, the simple act of feeding your dog by hand every day and developing criteria, uh, and maybe becoming more and more mm-hmm. stringent within your criteria, even if you're not in a formal reward based system, you're, you're driving the threshold, uh, for quitting up. Right. Yep. So that's something we've discussed in the past. And, uh, when we, when we had our, you know, pain, pressure and aversive, uh, uh, stimulus, yep. uh, podcast, you know, w- what we're doing is we're making a, a resistant dog, a tough dog, a dog, a resilient dog, mm-hmm. if you will. And so this goes hand in hand with that. And I think that's, that's really important and really fascinating to consider. So, you know, um, again, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to, to, to shine a spotlight on that for just a second. So huge benefit, lots of utility. Um, all right, I'll, I'll get out of your way. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, but in summary, using reward based systems with puppies, it's great for you developing your timing. Like Grayson said, it's low risk. It allows you to be flexible. It's great for building a relationship. And that's something that I don't think is discussed a lot in the bird dog community is the value of a reward based system in developing a good relationship. And um, I know, like in general, the NAVDA community, I think, really embraces the idea that in order to have a good dog, you have to put the time in and you have to have a good relationship with them. And that can start when they're a puppy using reward-based systems and building the work ethic and building a kind of team together where you both understand each other. And that's a huge part of this is you can learn how to read each other. When is my dog stressed? When is my dog confident? When is my dog frustrated? How can I set my dog up for success? So Reward-based training allows you to do a lot of that without um, risk of really messing anything up like you can certainly do when we are using tools. Um, In general, some of the other benefits of reward-based training are you get a dog that wants to initiate behavior, which goes hand-in-hand with work ethic. So like I talked about Ember, um, (laughs) if you have a lesson with me, Ember's out and she's going to be spinning circles and going through my legs and jumping on place and offering sit and eye contact. She's constantly going through all these behaviors she knows in order to get um, me to engage her. And that's something that's really awesome, especially when we're developing complex behaviors and we need our dogs to offer something else. So when they get confused and we're looking for them to find the right answer, if they have this initiating behavior, um, can, get me rewarded type mind frame that can help us work through some of that confusion rather than them just shutting down, um, you know, kind of what Grayson was just talking about. Um, we also have the ability to reward remotely. Um, and we're going to talk about that a lot with marker systems. And then finally, marker systems offer us feedback from our dog. So when I talk about marker systems next, we'll talk about a little bit of feedback from our dogs, but that's something that we can benefit from reward-based systems that we don't have the advantage of without using them. Um, in bird dogs specifically, there are so many behaviors that you can start to build in a reward-based system that I think are often overlooked, um, such as a retrieve. So if you've seen my videos of Ember, I'm starting to shape a retrieve where she's holding um, objects in a purely reward-based system. And I will eventually overlay e-collar pressure 
when the time comes. So it's not going to be a completely reward-based retrieve, but I'm starting that way and it's been really fun for me. Um, I really enjoy that, but it's also been easy and fun for her and it's going to make the transition of overlaying e-collar pressure go super smoothly because she has a super, super solid understanding of reach out, grab something, hold it until I release her to drop it. So there are a variety of ways we can use reward-based systems in conjunction with our e-collars for even bird dogs. So even if your goal is not to do trick dogs or you know anything that is traditionally thought of as using reward-based systems, there's value in it no matter what you're doing with your dog. Anything you want to add to that, Grayson? I, I, I mean, it's so comprehensive. Uh, I think there's a lot of... A lot of things that I would, um, yeah, I would like to find out more about. And so, number one, if, is there anywhere in particular are you prepared to tell people where to find these videos of you and Ember on on the internet? Um, on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so go get on Short Hairs and Shotguns and, and search through the through those videos. Yeah, and, and find those videos of, of uh, Emily and Ember because they're they're super impressive and. Um, you know, I think when I listen to you speak, I think of all of the places that I could benefit from from spending more time doing this with my own dogs. And I'll tell you, it takes, you know, we get into the habit of kind of going through the motions. You know, I have a lot of dogs in. I have always been somebody that preached, treat each dog as an individual, don't make a cookie cutter system. But at the end of the day, you, you're going to get in a rhythm and it's really hard to not kind of come up with your little flow sheet that you go by, even though you don't intend to, or you have these contingencies, you know how to work on them. And when you're using primarily, um, you know, uh, compulsive escape aversion systems, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of easy to get into your little lane and put your blinders on. And for those of us that are doing that on a regular basis, I think w- what could be more refreshing than to step outside of that with our personal dog for a little while. And it doesn't matter at, to what level you've trained. Yep. Um, get out there. And if you need a little shot in the arm, a little motivation, a little, you know, if you're, you're kind of feeling a, 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 a little worn out by what we've done for so long, which I think many of us do. And I know I do, um, you know, take, take a, a Sunday and spend it with your dog and get the, you know, the treat bag out yep. and, and, Dig into this a little more deeply. Um, so just to kind of recap, you know, the, there was so much there. Um, I definitely want to hear much more about, and you'll have to say it again, the isolate, the concept of... Isolate, ahead. separate, and recombine. So we're going to come to that. I want to, I definitely want to, to, to get really into that because those are specific behaviors and, and building on chaining behaviors together, creating yep. more complex behaviors out of very, very tiny behaviors. And so I think there's, that's something that when we're in reward-based systems, it naturally funnels us into finding the smallest piece that we can reinforce. And there's so much benefit to yep. that, even if we're moving into a compulsive system later, because it allows Absolutely. us to break down the, com- the these complex behaviors and to distill the complexity right. uh, and get and get to the the really specific behaviors, but but you know more than that, I I, I can't I'm, I don't think we can emphasize enough that this stuff is you know it's it's risk it's not risk free it's lower risk nothing's risk free but it's 
it, it's not low stress. Like there's a lot of stress involved here and we are titering our dog to more and more stress that we find where they do, they lose interest because of the, the stress yep. and we take them right to that edge and we make, ask them to work a little harder for us and day over day we see the benefit where we get a little longer um, duration of that tough work ethic. And, um, you know, I know I've referenced it before uh, in this podcast, but I, I, somewhere out there in the world was a, was a study where they were uh, testing cortisol levels in dogs in reward-based systems versus compulsive systems. And the, and all the dogs in the reward-based systems were testing higher. I did not come prepared to, to, to cite that correctly. <laughs> and, and that's, that's n- not cool of me, but at the end of the day, um, I still think that's fascinating, but if you've ever done this, you can see it. You know, you take that retriever, even if you're a guy that's, or a girl, um, that's never even entertained the idea of doing this stuff and you go out with that tennis ball and just ask them to perform any behavior in the world to get that tennis ball. And you see, man, you yep. can see their eyes light up. They're powerful. They drool, they stress, they want that ball so badly. So sorry to, to, to hijack that, but I, I, to answer your question, yes, I've got Tons of questions. I want. To, I, I certainly want to hear us uh, dig deep into this, but um, you know, I would love wherever you're heading next from this uh, to to talk more about uh, that the concept of of isolating and separating. And go ahead. Go ahead. Certainly. Um, and one more note. You know, just because this is a gun dog podcast, I just want to emphasize that again. You don't have to want to do trick dog stuff in order to be a reward-based, utilize some reward-based training. You don't have to be purely positive. Just because you get out a bag of food once a day and do five minutes of work for food does not mean you can't go back to your e-collar or you're doing it because you feel guilty about using your e-collar or there's some stigma around it. This goes hand in hand with everything that we do as you know, people who utilize tools as well. And like Grayson said, you know, we can really, if you can learn how to train your brain to isolate, separate, recombine in a reward-based system, it's really going to set you up for success when you do add tools in. So moving on, we're going to look at our notes here, which are available on Grayson's website. And I'm going to just run through some um, general definitions. Um, I do want to kind of add an asterisk in here that, A lot of these definitions kind of vary between trainers, so especially when it comes to shaping, things like that. Um, A lot of people do it differently, and their definition of some of these things might be a little bit different. I'm going to say, talk about the definitions that make the most sense to me, but know that I am not the end-all be-all when it comes to reward-based training, and someone else might be doing something a little bit differently, Um, and that's fine. Let's start here with a marker system. A marker system is a communication method used to signal to the dog when he is doing something correctly and then rewarding for it. So a clicker is a very common utilization of a marker system. So click, treat, click, treat, click, treat. Um, And we often utilize words like yes or good um, in a marker system as well. And what that does is it allows us to reward separately from marking the behavior. So when I click, that is the instant that I want the dog to know they did the right thing, and then they can prepare to receive food. So they 
you have to charge the mark, meaning you have to give the mark value. So we just Grayson discussed this at length in um, lecture two, but you do that easily by taking a clicker, which the dog has never heard before, click, and then you feed them a treat click, feed them a treat, click, feed them a treat. And then they start to understand that click means a treat is coming. And for me, that will be a hundred percent of the time they hear a click that will be followed by a treat. And so what that does is it allows us to be better with our timing and kind of change our reward placement. So let's say we're teaching our dog to sit when their butt hits the ground, the typical thing we do is reach over and hand them a piece of food, which we all know works just fine. But um, if you're using a marker system, what you'll do is as soon as their butt hits the ground, you'll click and then you can reach over and hand them a treat. And so that allows us to be more appropriate with our timing. So if you're not using a marker system, you really need to feed them the treat as close to the instant that they do the correct behavior as possible for them to know exactly what they're doing correctly. And for sit, that's not so complicated. But if you're doing something like sending them to place, when they get to place that's a couple feet away from you, it's not possible to reward them with food when they're a couple feet away from you the instant their feet touch place. So when we use a marker system, we can remotely mark that. So as soon as their feet hit place, even if we're not beside them, we can mark that with our click and then they know, oh, that's exactly what I was supposed to do. And then they can come get their treat. So it allows us to change our timing a little bit and be more appropriate with our timing and allows us to be a little bit later with our treat. So it's not as important that we immediately get the treat in their mouth. Um, some markers will be terminal and some will be continual. So some markers will mean, yep, you did the right thing. You can end that behavior, come get your treat, which is typically for a click or yes. And then some markers are continual, which means yes, you're doing, or sorry, it shouldn't mean yes. It means you're doing the correct thing. Continue doing that. So that's usually, um, we use the word good for that. So if you have your dog in a down state and you want them to continue to lay down, good food, good food, good food. And then when you're done with them laying down, yes, or click. And that means come get your treat. There are uh, an infinite number of markers and they can mean a variety of things. So for me, click is for when I'm teaching a new behavior. So I want you to continue to offer things and that will always mean food on me. Yes, I use for behaviors you already know and that will be food on me. Good is a continual marker. So it means continue what you're doing and you'll continue to receive food. Get it is um, for me, that means a piece of food or a treat or a toy will be tossed. So prepare to go get it. Um, And then I have dish, which means um, your reward will be placed in a bowl. So the dog has to know where their bowl is. And when they hear the word dish, they can release themselves and go to the bowl. A lot of reward-based trainers use a variety of these markers. And um, the neat thing is you can use reward placement in order to get different behaviors. So if I want my dog to work on positions away from me and I don't want her creeping towards me, what I might do is place her dish bowl behind her. So when I release her to go get that food, she turns and goes behind her versus anticipating coming towards me. And that might keep her attention and her body thinking backwards instead of forwards when I want her to stay away from me versus continuing to come into me. So it's not imperative that you use all these different markers, but there can definitely be value in them. 
Um, Going back to talking about feedback from the dog as a benefit of using reward-based systems, you can definitely use these markers, these different markers as kind of um, cues or feedback from where your dog's brain is. So for me, get it means you're going to chase a treat or a toy and get it off the ground. And this is surprisingly stimulating. Um, Maybe not, maybe it shouldn't be so surprising with these bird dogs. But when I say get it, I want to see my dog's reaction and blitz it. And especially Ember, they get fired up. As soon as they hear get it, their feet are dancing. They're ready to go get something. Whereas when I say yes, they should immediately launch towards me to get a piece of food. So if I'm working with Ember in a new environment and I say get it and she launches towards me to get a piece of food for my hand, I know her brain is not with me because she's not thinking about what marker I'm using. Get it means expect a treat on the ground. And if she's coming towards me, she's not truly paying attention and discriminating between my marker system. So that's an important um, way that I get feedback from her as okay, you are acknowledging that I've rewarded you or that I'm about to reward you for this, but are you looking for the reward in the right place? And of course, there's no punishment for doing it incorrectly, but it's good feedback for me on where her brain is in that moment. Do you ever incorporate a game of chase into um, uh, capturing the reward? Or, or, or uh, obtaining the reward, and, and the only reason I bring this up, I didn't know if if this was a concept that had been discussed in, the, in any of the work you're doing. I just I, I heard a podcast with Michael Ellis one time where he began to talk about the importance of chase um, by itself uh, as a reinforcer, I and, I, and yeah. it really got in my head. But listening to you talk about the get it command and looking for it on the ground. I'm assuming there may be some motion that triggers a little bit of action there as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And that's what that's what I was trying to um, convey is that that is so stimulating for sure. them. Yeah. That idea of even just a little piece of kibble rolling across the ground changes the game from yes to get it out of my hand. Sure. So you, there's a noticeable difference in their behavior and their response and their reaction to that versus yes or a click sure. because they're anticipating that chase and that gets them so fired up. So, so hopefully all the listeners out there are taking note that, right. We're, you know, we're using, um, I I don't want to call it prey stimulation. Maybe that's what it is. I would assume maybe to, to some degree, but, but certainly there's a component of even in a food based or a food type system, um, where we're utilizing markers, uh, to incorporate chase, to bring the level of, reinforcement up we're upping the ante and so that man that runs completely parallel to what we talk about all the time (laughs) and chase being reinforcing out there in the field and you know i mean i think i don't think it's a stretch for us to draw that correlation not at all no that's a great point thanks for bringing that up so now that we have a marker system we can start to look at different ways to um, train different behaviors I think the most common one that everyone's heard of is shaping, which is uh, training using successive approximations. Um, So building a behavior through small steps. So if I want my dog to go put all four paws on the place cot, this is what we talk about with isolate, separate, and recombine. Um, The concept is the dog has to go over, put two feet on, then put four feet on. So starting with shaping, 
what I can do is start to mark my dog acknowledging the place cut. So ideally, I want to be in a pretty sterile environment, not a lot going on. I'm not taking my dog next to a dog park in order to try and shape something. I have very low distractions so my dog can focus on um, especially something new in the environment like a place cut. And the way you use shaping through successive approximations is as soon as she looks at it, a dog who does not know what place already is, I'm going to click and treat. And then as she's going, okay, now I, all I have to do is look at this and I get a treat. Then you move to the next step. And it's important to not move to the next step until you're feeling pretty good about the step you're at now. So then my next step might be go touch it with your nose or go put your front feet on it, whatever happens next. So she goes and she put touches it with her nose because it's a new thing and she's curious about it. So then I start to mark that. Now the criteria is you have to go put your nose on it in order to get a click and a treat. And then once that's going well, then it's gonna be your front feet. And then once she's putting her front feet on it, then I'm going to expect all four feet to be on it in order to get a click and treat. So we can build a behavior through small steps using shaping um, and again, Shaping has a variety of definitions, whether that be free shaping or um, a big inspiration for me is Sarah Bruski with Zoom Dog Training, and she calls it cheater shaping, where you um, can utilize reward placement as a part of shaping, which is not uh, the actual definition of free shaping, but using reward placement can be really valuable in shaping. So if I want my dog to circle a cone, I might start clicking when she looks at it. Then I might start clicking when she walks towards it. Then I'm going to start clicking when she goes around it. And then I might start rewarding her in a position that encourages her to go around it. And dogs are very good at anticipating reward placement. And that will easily turn into the dog doing circles around the cone, anticipating the reward being in the next place around the cone. And so that can um, speed up your shaping process by reward placement. Another way to utilize reward placement with shaping, um, I see Grayson do this a lot with place, is he rewards on him. So the dog must go to the place cot, touch it, and then come back to him for a treat, which for a treat, which sets the dog up to offer the behavior again. So if he went over there and treated the dog on place, the dog would be on place, and then there's no opportunities for the dog to get back on place because they're still on place. So if you reward the dog off place, they have the opportunity to go back to place and get another treat. Um, I often utilize my get it for that. So if I'm trying to teach my dog to touch something, as soon as they touch it, click and treat, and then I'll tell them get it. I'll toss a treat that takes them away from the object that they're touching, and then it gives them presents them another opportunity to come back and put their front feet on it again. I, I'm going to interject real quick just because I want to, uh, again, highlight the, the one of these concepts you're discussing. And, and you know, so often, and I, I made the mistake of doing this one time, we were discussing um, shaping. And basically, I oversimplified and I said, are we going to lure and shape this or are we going to free shape it? And I, you looked at me and you said, you know, there's not any real free shaping <laughs> outside of a Skinner box. And and I, I 100% agree with you. And, and I really like... Um, Sarah Bruski's uh, use uh, or her vernacular in which she talks about cheater shaping. I think uh-huh. that's a really good way to describe it. And I think most of us that have, you know, I, I've long practiced these reward-based systems, but I haven't done them. I, you know, I've, I've just like everything else we do, I've been 
isolated long enough where I've kind of gotten sloppy in some ways. I haven't had, but I think also sometimes it's cool because you end up kind of developing your own style and, you know, and whatever else. But at the same time, it's always good to get back there, seek formal instruction, seek formal mentorship, train with others and, and, and look at the places where maybe you could tighten up and refine what you're doing. And I, I just, I really like the idea, um, that I'm not, necessarily luring and shaping and I'm certainly not free shaping mm-hmm. but I'm trying to exist somewhere in the middle yep, absolutely and, and I believe and I'm sure you do as well the, the closer we get to free shaping the more benefit we get yes and, absolutely and maybe we should take a moment to talk about that yeah. it's so important that the dog makes the decision on their own so we could take a leash walk the dog over to the place cot and reward them on the place cot and over time you will probably get that behavior. But if we're shaping it where we're using this idea that you look at it and then you go over to it and then you put your feet on it, that behavior will be so, what's the word I'm looking for? More powerful, more, yep, more, more quickly refined. I think it's, I think the lessons get learned much more quickly over yes, fewer reps. Because I, the dog's making the decision themselves. So <laughs> You can take a dog, pick them up and put them on place and they haven't even gone through the motions of how to get on the place cot. And you can probably teach them to place like that. But if they are consciously putting effort into figuring out how to get the food and that involves going over and putting their feet on this place cot, they are much more likely to continue to offer that behavior because they've made the decision on their own to do it in the first place. Yeah. And they discovered it. So, you know, we often would talk about in the detection world, Mm self-discovery, you know, we let the dog, you know, we may want the dog to lay down while they indicate, uh, you know, make their final uh, response on the odor. Um, and if we just waited it out and allowed it to happen, man, successive reps after that, man, they just happen so much more quickly. And I think if we have any of us have been paying attention to the, to whether it be retrievers, pointing dogs, whatever the gun dog world in, in, you know, certainly the last five years, but really right now it's ramping up. I I look on, I was looking at Facebook the other day and, uh, and there are, there are people that are active in Nipopo, um, and we we can discuss that later, but the, which is Bart Bellin's uh, system of training, which is heavy in reward based systems, but also formally combined with uh, negative reinforcement and positive punishment. Um, but there, it's a it's a formal system, uh, and it it's even patented. And there are trainers that are utilizing this, and most most famously in the protection sports and in police dogs and stuff. Uh, but there are people in the retriever world right now reaching out and seeing the benefit of that and they're accepting formal training in that. So we are in a time where I think you're going to see a rapid um, acceptance uh, of these kind of systems amongst the broader um, uh, gun dog enthusiast yep. world, right? So it's not just going to no longer going to be these little isolated pockets yep. of zealots that feel like, <laughs> you know, they don't want to do, I think, people are going to see the real benefit in, in, you know, at least the combination, the bringing this in 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 small doses. And, uh, I'm sorry, I kind of lost my train of thought with that, but, um, so I'll go ahead and just yield to you. Okay. So no, that would takes us into our next, um, definition, which is capturing, which takes advantage of a naturally occurring behavior and puts it on cue. So like Grayson just mentioned about the dog, the detection dogs laying down, um, another easy one to capture is shaking. If you know every time your dog's wet and they're going to shake, you can start clicking when they shake and rewarding that and teaching them shake off, not shake hands. I should 
um, specify that. Um, shaking off or sneezing is something you can take advantage of. Or if your dog sits to go outside and you want to teach them to sit to go to go outside, capturing takes advantage of something that they're already doing and you're just waiting for them to do it and then clicking and rewarding when they do. And that, and that does. I'm sorry. It did bring me right back to the point that I initially was yeah. started out to make there, which was you know, if we do, if we, if we've recognized this, uh, this kind of gradual expanse of these ideals and ideas, uh, coming into the gun dog world, um, that it's been slow to be adopted. But if you think about like the place command, mm-hmm. now it's commonplace. We look yep. out and we see, uh, yep. we actually have an aftermarket built for place boards and things that you take into the swamp with you. Yep. Um, and, and this is, the next logical step in that. So what we've, we've seen adopted by the gun dog world, some of the professional trainers in the gun dog world, this is where that's heading. In my opinion, we're going to start seeing people actually allowing space for self-discovery as opposed to yep. dragging their dog over. To place. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And next uh, we'll talk about luring. Luring is using food as a physical prompt to guide the dog into various desired positions or motions. So luring is when you're going to have your food or your treats in your hand and you're going to um, kind of like bribe and tease the dog into following the motion. So we talked about shaping place and how we would do that. You can also lure your dog onto place. So if they will follow your hand for food, and this is a really critical um behavior that I recommend all my clients develop with their puppies, teach your puppy to push into your hand for food. And then you can use that luring for a variety of different behaviors, such as putting your hand over the place cot and luring them onto it and then clicking and feeding them the food once they're on there. Um, I like to utilize luring when I'm looking for a very specific position. So we talked about shaping and it offers a variety of um, different benefits given depending on what you're looking for, but luring allows you to be very precise in your um, positions, especially. So like if I want my dog to lay down and I want them to fold back into a down, which you'll see with competitive obedience, um, where their front paws do not move and they kick back and lay down, I'm going to lure them into that position because it's not natural. So if I try to shape or capture my dog going into a down, they're likely going to put their butt on the ground and then walk their front paws out into a down. And if you don't care what your down looks like, that's 100% appropriate and you can shape or even capture that. But if you want them to kick back and fold into this pretty competitive obedience down, you need their front feet to stay still and you can use a lure by pushing their food kind of into their chest so that their butt kicks back and they fold nicely into that down. So that's um, one place where I would use luring over shaping and capturing. Um, Another place that luring is commonly used is teaching a head up heel or a focused heel. If you see um, especially protection sports people or competitive obedience where their dog's head is straight up in the air and they're prancing along beside them, luring is used to lure their head up into position. Next is targeting, which is teaching a dog to touch something with your nose, with their nose. Um, this is commonly going to be your hand. So if I hold out my hand and open beside me, I want my dog to come over and touch it with their nose. 
Um, and then once they understand that, you can move that target to a variety of positions. And again, going back to our place object, if your dog knows to put their knows to put their nose in your hand, you can hold your open hand over their place object and they're going to get up on the place object in order to put their nose in your hand. And that's a, a, the third t- way you could teach place um, by using targeting. You can also modify your target by if it's an open hand, you can flip it upside down and create a chin rest. So utilizing targeting um, can create a variety of behaviors from that as well. Targeting is kind of a combination of shaping and luring. And then finally, we have prompting. Prompting is using something like a touchpad or an object, a prompt, to create another behavior. So if I teach my dog to put its front paws on a touchpad, which if you're not familiar, that's typically going to be like a food bowl turned upside down. I can use that touchpad to teach my dog to spin its butt around it, and that will eventually turn into flipping into heel position. So if you see my dogs come and flip into heel at my side where they come straight towards me and then their butt swings out and they end up in heel position, you can use a prompt like a touchpad in order to shape that behavior. And if you want to come off as... Uh, the cool person at the dinner party, you can call that rear end awareness. Yes, absolutely. They have to have rear end awareness in order to do that fancy flipping into heel. So typically, all of these things we've talked about are going to overlap, like Grayson talked about. Um, you know, you shouldn't get hung up on one or hung up on just doing one of these. These are things that we kind of mix and match and there are definitely pros and cons to each of them. So again, if you want a precise position, you probably don't want to just try and capture that because it likely won't be as um, finessed as you're looking for. So you're going to want to lure it, but you can mix and match any of these. And these are just kind of the foundations of, um, positive reinforcement and the ways we can use food to um, get our different behaviors from our dogs. Um, So I guess talking about this in the practical sense, we've talked about place, um, talking about the retrieve. Yeah. So it's a tough one. So whether we're using a roar based system or a a compulsive system, the retrieve has to be broken down into a variety of things, a variety of segments. It's not just one motion. You have to be comfortable putting something in your mouth and you have to be comfortable holding it and then you have to go out to it and then pick it up and then hold it and then carry it back. So it's all these little things that we have to break down. This is definitely the perfect place to talk about isolate, separate, and recombine because we have a lot of retrievers who are good at one or a few of these things but lack in others. So when we're building that, we have to make sure that we are hitting all of the little stepping stones and not skipping any because if we skip any, then we're going to have holes in our hole and our retrieve and it's not it's going to fall apart. So with Ember I've been starting her, actually I did this with Blitz too, starting her retrieve in a reward-based system and I'm starting using a little DAO 
And the way I've started is just like we talked about shaping place. First, I just want you to look at the dowel and then I'm going to click and treat. And then I want you to touch it with your nose and then I'm going to click and treat. And then I want you to put your teeth on it and then I'm going to click and treat. And then the big breakthrough happens when you go from putting your teeth on it to actually holding it. There's just the, the most frustrating bridge in the world to get from <laughs> you've put your teeth on it and sometimes that means you tap it with your teeth or to, you press your front teeth against it or maybe you press your front teeth against it but it's the idea also that we need to 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 take the leap from you've made contact to now I want duration yes uh-huh. not on, and now I want you to carry the weight yep and this this is a I've I, I've been through this in service dog programs I've been through this and just playing with my own dogs. But this is this is where people, if they're thinking of coming in if, to the gun dog world from a reward-based perspective, I think the retrieve is the most natural place for it to occur. Yep. But also, we take for granted how complex the retrieve truly is yes. and how hard it can be. Yep. So, yeah, I mean... And we throw a lot of band-aids on that with force fetch. Yes. <laughs> Or, you know, and I mean, and force fetch isn't easy as well. I mean, it's no, its own thing. And it's, 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 you can definitely have a little bit more. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I, I think I don't, I don't, again, these things aren't mutually exclusive. I think it's really cool to go through. I think if you want to challenge yourself, if you're somebody that maybe has force fetched a handful of dogs mm-hmm. and you're feeling pretty, um, you're feeling pretty proud of yourself and a little confident <laughs> right now, I think t- take on the challenge of, of, going through a reward-based retrieve. Um, and I didn't mean to interrupt there because I'm listening the, 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 the isolate separate mm-hmm. and co- recombine. Yep. Um, the, the, it's a fascinating way for, you know, I've often talked about the retrieve being something that naturally back chains. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, where we almost are, I mean, the release is drop this thing in my hand. Yeah. Right. And so yep. we're, that's, that, that's your, uh, you know, you can't final. receive your food. Yeah, it's yeah. your final thing to do. It's just a, is to, but you have to be holding it before you can do that. Yep. Um, and so that is, that's where a marker system comes in handy. So I can click, which means you're allowed to drop it. But I, if I wasn't using a marker system, I couldn't give my dog food with something in their mouth to reward them for doing the right thing. So you really, if you're using a reward-based system, you have to have a marker system. And I've I've seen this you know on the internet where you know somebody is maybe demonstrating a reward based retrieve they click the toy hits the ground because the dog drops mm-hmm. and they're not they're not worrying about whether it's in their hand or not yeah and it's a hard concept for some people yes, to grasp because they, they see the give it to me as some kind yeah. of compulsive yeah. you know uh, command yep um and and it's not it's just I'm allowing you to finally drop this yep. thing the thing exactly. you don't want to do is hold it in your mouth but you're doing it. Because you, you know it's going to buy you that thing you want yep. eventually. So we can slowly build upon uh, those steps I previously mentioned with Ember. Um, so again, the bridge between put your teeth on it and hold it is probably one of the most challenging aspects. Um, speaking more of isolate, separate, and recombine. So Ember is to the point where she'll hold it for significant durations and now the next thing I wanted to move into quickly was movement while holding it I didn't want her to be stagnant in her hold and um, 
rehearsed that so much that movement kind of threw her off. And so I've been playing around with what kind of movement can I add in? And this is why I like using a word-based system because it's a puzzle. What kind of movement can I add in that you understand you still need to hold this, but you can still perform the movement and then you still can wait for me to click and treat. So I started with the obvious thing, backing up from her in an attempt to draw her in for recall, which worked really well with Blitz, but it did not work for Ember. She immediately kept spitting it out, really struggled to make that connection of you can move your front feet forward and still hold on to the Dow. But place is something that she really um, is easy for her. So I started by putting her on the opposite side of a place cot, asking her to hold the object and just backing up and allowing her access to the place cot. And she naturally got up onto the place cot and continued to hold the dowel. Then I click and treat for her um, continuing to hold it on the place cot. So our isolate, separate, and recombine means something is broken. So she was spitting it out, spitting it out, spitting it out whenever we added movement. So I had to isolate what was causing her trouble. And it was the idea of movement towards me, but she could move on to something that she felt more comfortable with. And then I can, um, now that I've established that you can move with this Dow in your mouth, now I can actually back up and she'll walk towards me. And she still understands, hey, I can move around and keep this in my mouth. And then I still just need to wait for my click to, in order to drop it and get my treat. Awesome. I, I am, I've been so impressed by how well, not only how well Ember's kind of taken to the program, but just that, you know, the way you two look together when you're doing it. And so, um, it, I think uh, the benefits in, in regards to, you know, quote unquote bonding, uh, are, are, are certainly apparent. Um, I've heard the same said of compulsive systems. And so I think what, what does that tell us? I think, yep. um, you know, it, it, it speaks to the overall utility of number one, just training your dog Absolutely. and spending time with your dog. For sure. Um, but this, you know, again, because of the, the inherent low risk of the reward based systems, um, you know, I think, uh, it's a great place, especially if you're a novice to start, uh, we could obviously, just keep going with this. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so many things to talk about. The uh -huh. retrieve is the obvious one, uh -huh. but there's so many other places that, that I think this applies. And when I listen to you talking about building a reward based retrieve, I've been, all I've been doing for six weeks is, is force fetching. Mm -hmm. And you know, not, it's not all I've been doing, but it's, it makes up a big part of my day every day. And I'm thinking about all the places where, you know, when you said prompting movement is creating a drop, it happens all the time. Yeah in a compulsive, in a compulsive system, in yep. our negatively reinforced retrieve. Um, and it, and it forces us to get creative and to think, okay, my dog's having trouble stepping forward. What if I take a couple of steps back and allow him to fall into heel naturally, yep. which is where he wants to be because right. he's feeling pressure and then boom, it stays in his mouth for a yep. little bit. And it gives us the opportunity to build some confidence in the dog. Absolutely. He's confused. Same deal. It's the same cortisol. Yep. Right. Is, 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 is being uh, elicited by these processes. So, um, you know, get out there, do this, please check out the, the notes. I think this was a fantastic one Oh one in reward based systems. It's, it, it's, 
It makes sense. It all flows. So if you go read Emily's notes, this is what you were asking for. This is what you're looking for. It, it, it doesn't end here. You can go on forever. And, um, you know, it's, I think a a great part of a holistic system. Um, I I don't want to, I'm not trying to just wrap it up and close it up here, but I, I, you know, we're, we're coming up on an hour. Are there any, is there anything else you feel like we need to really discuss before we do wrap it up? Two quick things. For one, we talk about this all the time. No training is linear. So, when, especially when you are shaping, it is not the end of the world to take a step backwards. So talk about this a lot in the retrieve. If your dog's at the point where they're putting their teeth on it, but they're getting frustrated that they're not getting rewarded for holding it, take a step back and reward them for touching it with their nose. You have to be able to, especially in a reward-based system, you have to keep their kind of, uh, you have to, keep their rate of reward high. Yep. So if you, you have to build some frustration, that's a part of it. But if you get them too frustrated, what do they do? They quit. And when you're in a reward-based system, you don't have a lot of options there. So you have to keep the rate of reward high. So remember, it's not linear. You can always take a step back. That doesn't mean you lost all your forward progress. You just go right back to where you were when your dog's ready. So training is not linear. Keep that in mind, especially with shaping. And then finally, if you do experiment with reward-based training, we talked about this in the last podcast too, you can't just not use your e-collar for a couple weeks and then suddenly get your e-collar back out and blast your dog for doing something that they haven't been doing. Um, So if you're going to use a reward-based system, make sure you're still being fair and that you're use it and using your e-collar and that it doesn't become novel again. Don't just don't be weird about it. That's what it boils down to. You if you're going to use your e-collar, use it and don't be weird about it, but you can also incorporate reward-based systems without being weird about it. That's yeah. I I mean I think that's yeah, I mean if you're if you are if you're if you're doing this because it appeals to you, but you've been practicing kind of a more balanced approach to this point mm-hmm. or a more compulsion heavy approach to this point. Absolutely. Don't, don't just decide, okay, because I'm doing this now I have to exclude all these things exactly. I've always done and go over here. Um, you know, keep, you know, but obviously when you're, you know, if you're going in your training lab, play, act like you're in a Skinner box, try Absolutely. to free shape as much as possible. Obviously we can't free shape, but do the best you can, uh, to, to r- allow your dog to self-discover what, yep. what you're hoping for from them. Um, uh, I'm I'm excited for everybody to get out and try this. I think I think there's so much so much benefit in becoming a better trainer and allowing your dog to become more confident as a uh, a member of a training team. Exactly. Um, uh, a couple of things. I I think it's always nice to to discuss uh, the the folks that kind of paved the way for this. We we've done this in prior podcast. So we know, um, you know, all the behaviorists that, that kind of got into, you know, that started this stuff going from Skinner, um, back to Watson and Thorndike, and then the Breelands and the Baileys really big players in this thing. And, and the lineage, uh, came on down to Karen Pryor who really popularized clicker training, um, is a bit on the, uh, zealous, Zealous is not the right, it's not a, an appropriate word to use, but she, she certainly has her opinions and, um, and ho- would like for everyone to stick 
completely to reward-based systems, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Uh, but she and Gary Wilkes um, did a lot to to bring this into mainstream dog training, and, and we've all benefited from that. And there are people out there today that are accomplishing amazing feats in other yep. sports. And, and on, it's coming, guys. It's coming to the field trial games. Yep. It's coming to the hunt test games. It's going to be hard. It's going to take a while for them to kind of burrow their way into the culture that's yeah. that's been a little more um uh it's it, it's there's a lot of zealotry on that <laughs> side too uh that and, and, but I think when people start seeing dogs come to the line with really flashy manners and look really stylish and steady and all these things and people are going to have a hard time giving points to dogs that don't look as happy out there. Yeah. Um, and so, Absolutely. uh, and so there's, that's, that's one of the, the many benefits to this is that we, we get that out of it. Um, I, I would really like for you to share, I know you've, you've been really involved in this for the last couple of months. You know, you, you mentioned, um, uh, Mrs. Brewski, I think, or Miss yep. Brewski, uh, if you, if you want to speak a little more on, on what you've been doing with them. Yeah, cool. definitely follow Sarah Brewski with Zoom Dog Training. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram. She's super active. Her videos are awesome. The things she's doing with her, I think she's got 13 dogs, a bunch of coolies and a couple mouths. She's doing you know, Mondio ring with her Mal and does a bunch of disc and different things with her coolies. She is doing super incredible work. She's super inspiring, super great person. Definitely check out Sarah. Um, I took a course with Sarah through Finzy Dog Sport Academy. So you can go to finzydogsportacademy.com. It is a purely positive um, training They've got courses and webinars and workshops and literally about any subject. I signed up for a webinar about um, field trial labs and they do uh, agility and scent work and literally anything you could ever want to do in a purely positive way you can probably find on Finzy. Do you know who it was teaching the field trial lab portion? I'd be be fascinated to know who's out there offering courses of instruction in a purely positive way. Let me tell you. It's a webinar and I'll be honest, I haven't watched it. (laughs) That's cool. That's cool. It's just it exists. It's cool to know. Jennifer Hinyon. Okay. Breaking tradition, positive strategies for retriever field work. Great. Cool. And that's just a webinar, so it's not a course. They offer courses where you can participate or you can just observe. And then this is just a two-hour webinar. She did hunt tests, and now she's doing field trials with retrievers, and she's talking about positive strategies. Fantastic. I mean, I'm I'm intrigued. So, yeah, I think... There are a lot of gatekeepers out there and I'm, I'm, I think it's fascinating. I think it's super cool. And, uh, you know, I'm rooting for this lady to do well. Yeah, and I hope absolutely. that, you know, I, again, I, I don't want to ever subscribe to the dogma that comes along with the purely positive movement, but I think there's just so much, there's so much room for growth for all of us and, um, and we shouldn't discount it. And hopefully, uh, the people on that end don't discount what we have to offer either. You Agreed. know, and, and, um, you know, Emily, I just, I know, you you really carried the weight on this podcast today, and thank you very much. Of course, um, uh, I I got a lot out of it, and I really really am excited to uh, to get out there with some of my own dogs and play around a little more. I feel kind of uh, rejuvenated just listening to it, and um, you know, if you guys have questions about it, let us know. Yeah, reach out to us. Um, 
Anything else before we sign off? I think that's it. Uh, snake break. Yeah, we got a snake break coming up Saturday. Not not Saturday, July 10th. Yeah. So there's plenty of time. I'm going to try and get this thing out really fast. So if it's yeah. before July 10th, um, hit Emily up at shorthairsandshotguns at gmail.com. Uh, that's where... We got plenty of spots. Yep, that's where you go register. And... Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get that done. We didn't really lead in with any of our event Mm-mm. stuff this time, but that's okay. You know, I, I didn't. I don't want to do that. I just want <laughs> us to to put the content out. I like. Same. Yeah, feels good to just not worry about any of that stuff. So, if you do have any interest in things we got going on, um, you know, check out our websites and stuff. We we are. I I've got a lot of things brewing in my head right now, but more importantly, it's the summertime. My little boy is having a fun time and I'm just kind of enjoying taking in some of the sunshine and kind of staying out of the heat uh, in the afternoon. But, um, yeah, come, if you're close to us guys, come out and train sometime and, uh, we hope you're all well and we hope you got something out of this. Um, we'll look forward to next time. See you, Grayson. Bye-bye, Emily. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.